Life is full of surprises. Some good, some not so much. Hola, it's Honey. Hola, it's Carolina. Y sabes que estar preparado para cualquier cosa es importante. Whether that's in our roles as mothers, wives, businesswomen, or podcasters. On our show Life in Spanglish, you know that being open to unexpected turns has been an important part of our success. Pero we can use some help. Oh yes, la buena ayuda is welcome. Y si pasa algo, tranquilitos. Isn't it good knowing that with a State Farm agent you can worry less because someone will be personally invested in safeguarding your goals? Plus, they have the options to talk to a real person whenever a customer needs, especially when those unexpected turns come up. It's the personalized attention you can count on. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. If you're anything like me, you're booked and busy. From family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddy. With me, Freddie Prinze Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs, helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm, proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. This is the Custard TV podcast. I'm assuming no women. Women? In cabinet? No, certainly not. But I have found women in general tend not to be suited to high office. Oh, why is that? Well, they become too emotional. I doubt you'll have that trouble with me. I'm sorry, we haven't missed. We have. I was in costume at the time. Uh, the mad tree. Diana. this is a special edition of the custard tv podcast luke here editor and runner of the website that's the custardtv.com token northerner matt hello the birmingham area but very much wants us to know she's from the east midlands sarah's back hello sarah Hello, Custard TV fans. Actually, we do have one of the fans on the call, and that's Mo from um, from Virginia. Hello, Mo. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, I'm glad to be here. been listening for a number of years. I've contributed occasionally to the site. going to get there. I wasn't going to say you hadn't done anything. I was going to get there. <laughs> Sorry, Luke, I, I I overstepped my bounds. You know, I will respectfully <laughs> go back into my box. And... <laughs> this is very much like an episode of The Crown with sort of Luke as the sort of all-imposing leader here. <laughs> Luke is the matriarch. <laughs> what, what, your dog's not a corgi. You mentioned earlier, uh, Mo, that you'd been out and walked your dog. It's not a corgi by chance, just on brand, is it? No, she's a Yorkie. Oh, close enough. It's got the E sound at the end. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm happy with that. So we're going to be talking about uh, the Netflix mega hit, The Crown, which launched 2016 with Claire Foy and Matt Smith as Elizabeth and Philip, and now Tobias Menzies as Philip and Olivia Coleman, National Institution, as Queen Elizabeth. Matt wanted to watch this because he's back at his mum's and he's seen... 
adverts for it and it's piqued his interest. Explain that a little bit, Matt. Well, not really. I, I just thought, you know, there's not a lot on for us to talk about at the moment. Uh, the new season has recently been uh, released on Netflix, the fourth yeah. season. And it is a show that a lot of people, you know, talk about and like. And I know it's not a program that me or you have ever watched before for different reasons i think me just because i haven't got around to it and you because you're not a fan of these period dramas but i think to start sarah mo um you know wh- when did you first watch it you know why uh should we start with sarah um i was a fan from the start um which is but bizarre. did you watch it from the start in 2016 oh, yeah. absolutely watched it from the start and it's so watchable you can just smash a whole series out which is exactly what netflix want you to do i think it's brilliant i love it but i do i am a a kind of a bit of a fan of the old sort of sunday night dramas i want to see big hats i want to see lavish interiors i want to see that my problem and i suppose a lot of people's problem with the crown is that they are real people but this is definitely fiction you cannot go I'm, oh, I'm learning so much about the Queen and her motivations and poor Prince Philip and all of this. You've got to, you've got to take everything you see on screen with a pinch of salt, which I think is difficult for a lot of people. Um, and there's been a lot of controversy about it in the press as well. So I'm, I'm interested to speak to you guys about it today. Uh, Mo, what about you? First of all, why did it appeal to you, I suppose? Is it like someone's put your life on screen? no 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 not at all i mean uh if anything they live in in buckingham palace where there's a a ton of paintings and so forth i live in a townhouse with a ton of comic books so on that you know there are similarities i didn't initially start like the week it came out i'm a big who fan and so Um... matt smith was was one of the things that piqued my interest i watched it i watched the first two episodes maybe the first or second week after it dropped on netflix i'm also like a huge fan of period dramas um huge downton fan over in the states i got hooked on british programming very early on in my childhood through what we call uh pbs public through the public broadcasting um stations so you know i'm i'm used to watch you know i was grew up watching like monarch or the Glen and born and bred <laughs> i will <laughs> and as time goes by Mo was yes 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 no. saturday night that was they had the, what they called the saturday night sillies so they would have as time goes by. so you know we were i would just i was younger especially when i wasn't going out and so forth i would just watch you know two three hours of those uh, pro- uh, programming, and of course they they topped the evening off with uh, reruns of EastEnders. <laughs> wow! So I got I had my first introduction to the square. <laughs> I was probably in my my <laughs> teens in my teens, and so they were showing EastEnders episodes that were probably maybe I would say somewhat about a year behind. And of course, I grew up on Morse and Lovejoy and so forth. And and when Downton became a smash over here, I, of course, just ate that up. So naturally, the the crown more or less just just sprung from my interest in all those things. 
I'm a huge fan of soap operas just in general. Um, I do watch a few British soap operas. I, I, I die hard American soap opera fan, as absurd as they are as well. So it just it just sort of complemented a lot of my interests. Is there a fascination you have with the royal family as well, or not necessarily? I think in, in general, Americans, a lot of, are, we're, we're just fascinated because the structure is, is totally yeah. different than what we have. I'm very thankful that Donald Trump is not the, we don't have a head of a church and Donald Trump is the head of that church. I, I'm just really <laughs> thankful for that. But uh, not to get too political, you know, in case I've offended anybody. But I've certainly been fascinated, you know, when, once we get to Diana and Princess Diana and that kind of time period course, because by that point, I'm alive. And so I'm <laughs> absorbing. So you're hoping you're going to pop up at some point. Hopefully I will. You know, I'm waiting for that cameo. Yeah, I'm waiting for that cameo in season five. You know, uh, nice, nice. P- I, I, I know I'm hoping P- Peter Morgan listens to this. You know, he reaches out to me. You know, I'm fairly cheap, you know, (laughs) just growing up a lot of my relatives, they always got those tabloid magazines Uh, Mm. over here. It was the star and the National Enquirer and so forth. The Royals were just regular features in those those magazines. And so, you know, this this whole fascination about this family who more or less, you know, they're very symbolic. They're an institution. They you know, that's their function. They, some of them have normal-ish jobs, per se. Um, so it was just, just this constant bombarding of, you know, who's sleeping with who, who's leaving with who, who, who's leaving whom, coupled with, again, this goes back to my love of American soap operas. In American soap operas, many of those shows have some sort of high-born family, very well-to-do, whose actions affect those amongst them. So it was just, it, 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 it was just very much, again, like, you know, it was very much a soap opera as well. Mm-hmm. And this is a fictional, fictional, you know, it's a dramatization of someone who's been alive and a major part of world events, or at least has seen major world events from the middle of the 20th century until now. That's a that's a large amount of time, and it's really interesting to be able to have fictionalized insight into potentially what they're thinking or potentially, you know, how they may have reacted uh, to it. Again, again, keyword being fictionalized. Because I think a lot of people think that it's popular over in the U.S. because they believe a lot of it is fact but i'm i'm happy for you to say that you know it's it's dramatized it's peter morgan's idea on these people that we think we know so well and and do both of you enjoy it as a sumptuous well acted piece of drama or are you watching it for the royal insights and gossips no i would say that it's it's that period drama slot for me that it feels, you know, on the weekend. Downton is is definitely, it's bedfellow. It's definitely first cousins with Downton. That's what I'm here for. I'm here for the entertainment. But because of, I think probably Mo and I are, are a similar age. Um, it turns out I'm three months younger than Prince William. I looked that up just for you guys. <laughs> um, well, I've got you didn't waste your week. Well done. Oh, no. I've, I've got far better hair than him, though, like, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, no, I'm, I'm learning a lot about history when I was a small child and not paying attention. I find that there's a lot of British history that I didn't learn at school and I feel that there's big mm. gaps in, in what I do and don't know. So mm. I found the episodes with Harold Wilson, Harold Macmillan, people like that who were big names and you really ought to know who they are were really interesting. But like you say, in that moment, especially when you feel like you're learning something, you have to separate the fictional behind the doors that you'll never know. You have to separate that from fact. Um, mm. One of the most impressive episodes I think they ever did was about the mining disaster in Aberfan as well, which again is something you feel like you ought to know about. It was a national tragedy. It happened within my parents' lifetime. And yeah, I don't feel like I know enough. So having that money thrown at those historical moments and seeing that on screen so beautifully, I think it's mm. fabulous. I think it's really good. So it's like it's Downton with a little bit more substance, perhaps. But still, it's very much as Mo says, it's definitely a soap opera. I think it's sort of the mixture, isn't it, as you're saying, Sarah, about the British history. I think you're getting that through the, the politicians. I mean, me, myself and Luke have watched the first episode of each season plus a couple more of the most recent season and what I'm getting from it is for example the the second season opener with the, the Suez crisis all of mm. that you know that feels quite authentic but as you say once you're behind the palace doors those scenes are more of your soap opera your sniping between these characters new people coming into this environment and and the way they are treated that feels you know like your soap opera element and you are combining the two which i think is is an appeal for some people but at the same time some people might mistake all of it for fact when there is a great deal of fiction in there as well it's learning your history it's learning about big fabulous hats and it's learning that most marriages in the royal family were absolute disasters that's pretty much it, I think. That's, that's, that's it in a bottle. <laughs> that's the second mention of hats we've had. And, and I'm so here the, for the haberdashery. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, certainly the ones we watched, there weren't magnificent hats. <laughs> and, and... We, we didn't watch a hat-centric episode, I'll be honest. No, no, no what no is the town if not a massive hat? Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's almost poetic. I, I mean, going into the first episode a little bit... I... What I noticed was how prevalent uh, Jared Harris was in this episode. You know, it, obviously, you know, it starts with Philip and Elizabeth's wedding, but quickly it becomes more about King George VI. Well, I thought Jared Harris was a bit of a revelation. I mean, I, I've always enjoyed him being in Mad Men or, or Chernobyl more recently. His storyline, although we know it, of him having this cancer and having treatment within the palace wall. And Churchill sort of knowing that he's ill, but trying to keep it under his hat, but play it for political gain. All that was really fascinating. And it as someone who likes more kitchen sink type drama, that side of things appealed to me because I felt for this man who, whatever position he was in, trying mm. to keep his cancer diagnosis from his family, not only because it would destroy them, but it would destroy possibly the country as well and I thought he did a fantastic job of portraying this man who was at a crossroads in his life he knew he was near the end of his life but didn't know who to turn to and it did it, I think one of the, the 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 things people say about the crown is that although it might be fictional it does put a human face on the on the names we know and the pictures most saw in those magazines 
And I think that first episode set that out well. I guess I struggled initially with that first episode because in my mind, all the publicity was it was going to be focused on Claire Foy. And so we literally had this hour and a half ramp up to her going from Princess Elizabeth to Queen Elizabeth. And so I struggled a little bit with that. It wasn't about the acting at all. Because again, I was I'm familiar with Jared Harris from Mad Men and, and so forth, and I've loved John Lithgow since I was a child watching Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah. You know, more recently he portrayed Rudy Giuliani on a, a, a late night television show. So he's he, he's a, he's a treasure. It was just I was like, when are we going to get on with it? <laughs> now when I rewatched it in preparation for this recording. My opinion of that first episode changed. I still believe you really have to watch the first and second episodes to, to more or less, because I think they're, they're, it's more or less those two episodes are a, are a pilot. Mm-hmm. However, structurally, we, we, we have you know, King George and then Princess Elizabeth, you know, and just not expecting to become queen anytime soon, you know, just living her life. We flash forward to the, the middle of the third and definitely the fourth season, you have this rule inverse. You have Queen Elizabeth and now you have Prince Charles, you know, living his life and, and dealing with a marriage. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I found it structurally to be very fascinating. I, I really think that there's a lot of foreshadowing going on in this first episode. Things that don't come to fruition until seasons later. Uh, for instance, uh, Prince Philip's, the whole, the, that story arc with his mother that you get to in the, the third season, which I thought was a really brilliant storyline and just uh, and emotionally just a man who is just dealing with an aging parent who has mental health issues, you know, and just that, that struggle of being a man of a certain age you know, who feels like, what's next for me? You know, compounding that with the fact of his station in life. So, yeah, so that, that's, um, that, that, that was all I had to add about that, Luke. Sorry, I wasn't trying to go on and on. No, no, I thought it was interesting what you were saying about Philip, because certainly in the British press, and certainly as he gets older... He is a bit of a figure of fun, isn't he? You know, like he's the racist uncle of the family, you know? like You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama. And when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tudor Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com And we're back. How are we doing, Anna? Well, Todd, things are heating up. 
Ooh, yes, Nelson with the jalapeno poppers. Incredible. Ramirez comes in hot with a cheeseburger, patty, lettuce, tomatoes. Beautiful formation. Is he? <gasps> He's going for it. Ramirez grabs the Duke's mayo. <laughs> Look at it go. The twang. Anna, this is the best tailgate I've ever commentated on. Tailgate with twang. Get the official mayo of the tailgate. Duke's mayo today. Like, And everyone rolls their eyes at Philip. And as you were saying earlier about humanizing these characters... I thought his story was particularly interesting in the first series because he's out of place, he's frustrated, he does love Elizabeth, but he's going to have to take a position as consort, as second best for the rest of his life, and he never quite figures out what he wants to do with his life. Um, What he wants to be is a a naval officer and and just have fun and run round the globe, swim round the globe, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And... And, and Elizabeth is cool with that. She just wants to be a glamorous princess living on a beautiful island. But her dad dies much younger than she expects. So suddenly she's got to crack on. She's got the family business to run. And Philip's frustrations, I think, as Mo was saying, are expressed in Charles as well. Because Charles becomes that sort of sad, lonely, artistic soul who can't connect emotionally with people because he's not allowed to. His mum specifically is like, no. Don't express your emotions to people. Don't be real with people. That's not what they want from you. That's not what they need from you. And so it's really strange to me because I'm not a big fan of the royal family. They can do what they like as far as I'm concerned. I'm not interested. And I'm pretty sure that that a lot of British people would agree with me on that. But it's so weird to feel emotionally collected with, with Philip and Charles in a way that I never would have had I not watched The Crown. Certainly the first episode of season one, you know, I was captivated by it. And as you say, I think the majority of that is in the performance of Jared Harris. I wasn't a massive fan of John Lithgow. I found his performance very scenery chewing. You know, we saw him in this first episode and then very briefly in the in the season three opener as well. And, and it, it, it sort of was a bit incongruent with everything else going on. It felt a bit bigger than everything else. I really liked the Claire Foy and Matt Smith. I thought their performances were tender and you and you could you know, you did say about the marriages in the royal family. I think theirs is the exception really. I think you can see that that tenderness, but as you said as well, Sarah, that, that you know, Philip wants to have a career but King George's death spoils that and he becomes the Queen's consort the Queen you know following her around with a smile on his face as he says at one point you know that that becomes his destiny I know Luke you you said you found was it this first episode specifically you found dull or no no this this one I was really into this Mm, okay specifically the 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 trouble that he had and the decision that he faced on not wanting to show weakness and not wanting to worry the country but being aware of his cancer diagnosis, the fact that all the people around him were afraid just to tell him the truth but the, the, the surgeon said at the time, I said we should have told you and everybody kept it from him and just the shock of, of knowing it was terminal and all that appeals to me because I'm apparently a very weird person, but I just, <laughs> it felt a very human response. And you add in the weight of who this man was and the responsibility on his shoulders, not for his own family as such, but the, the entire country and how the world would react to this news. And that was yeah. incredibly yeah. interesting. Yeah, you uh, feel that he is burdened, like truly mm. burdened, even though he lives in such a privileged position. He can't escape that cancer diagnosis. 
And I found it so strange that his doctor would have tried to protect him from that. It's so bizarre that, you know, I'm a, a, I work at a university by day. I run a TV blog by night. But also in between those, I'm, I'm, I'm a cancer wife. My husband had a cancer diagnosis a couple of years mm. ago. And I remember at the time watching this episode in 2016 thinking how brutal that surgery looked. You know, he wasn't even in a hospital. Pre-COVID times, I was already freaking out about how it wasn't clean. It was brutal. I remember it specifically at the time really freaking me out. But I think, like you say, you kind of want those elements in that programme because it does, it really interests and excites you, even though it's it's really quite horrible, some of the things that they touch on. And I'm assuming that sort of, attraction and repulsion will be there in series four when when you know we watch diana suffering mo is it a show you binge i do do the slow binge as they like to call it the I'll, gentle I'll binge absolutely yes yeah same here you, you yeah. want it it's it's like a chocolate box treat you know you don't want to scoff them all down at once Exactly. I mean, you're only going to get the, these delectable chocolates are going to be delivered to you maybe once a year. <laughs> um, once every, now and, you know, occasionally once every other year or something like that, uh-huh. you know, you want to savor them. I wanted to just mention that, you know, with uh, King George's surgery, you know, how they dispose of medical waste in the 50s was like really <laughs> fascinating. Like literally they took his his lung, which is what I'm assuming it was, you know, yeah. just wrapped it up in newsprint and just tossed yeah. it in the bin. It and have been fish and chips the next yeah, day. Yeah, it's like, I was like, oh. Do you, mean, think, I... do you think the corgis got to it? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> 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 I, I think the other thing that the, this opener sets out quite early is is the way that the public sort of reacts to the royals and how much of an institution they are. There's the, obviously the scenes with the wedding, but there's also a scene where I think it's Elizabeth Ann and Philip are on a train and, and you see the people running up just to get that glimpse of mm. the royals on this train, you know, at, at a station that they they stop at. And that carries on, doesn't it, as a theme, you know, how we hold the royals a little bit in this country is almost these sort of mystical figures in a way, or certain, you know, a section of society, I should say, mm. in, in, in this country. Have any of you been in the presence of royals at all? Uh, yeah, I met um, right, Princess so... Diana when I was when I was a tiny child. So when did it... I. That was going to be my big surprise. I was going to say, was it a leisure centre <laughs> opening? Because she came and opened our leisure centre, I reckon. Yes, it was. Thank we you, had, Sarah. We had... I didn't realise we went to the same school. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, Sarah. Thank you. I won't tell you about us hosting an <laughs> event at Kensington Palace then. I'll, I'll ignore that. No, leave that out. You've already, <laughs> you've already peed on my bonfire, as it was. <laughs> When I say we hosted an event at work at Kensington Palace, what I meant was we hosted it in like, well, essentially a very big garden shed outside Kensington Palace. But okay, that's there you less go. rock and roll. But yes, I met her as well. And there's no <laughs> point telling she... the story now. No, no. But if you got to shake her hand, that's great. Because all I managed to do no, was... No, but my, my parents have a photo. I was in the swimming pool at the time when she came round, And all the kids were fascinated. And I was facing the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> so that is brilliant. So maybe you make it into to the next. Yeah, season, so right? I might be, you know, I don't know when Mo's expecting to pop up, but if there's a scene whether I'm going to turn up before Mo or after Mo, I don't know. If there's a scene in the swimming pool, I'm there, facing the other way. I'll watch out for you. Yeah. 
I'll just be a face in the crowd. You'll be a face in the pool. Yes, but facing the opposite way. If I, I imagine all the focus will be on me. Who is this dumb kid who misses Princess Diana? They, they do. To be yeah. fair, they work very hard on opening leisure centres. Yeah, and, and I can't be. I can't be completely focused on visitors all the time. I've got. I've got to swim the length of the pool occasionally. <laughs> I'll get your laps in. Exactly. <laughs> You won't be allowed a Yorkie out of the vending machine if you don't do your laps. No, exactly. They're just for boys. <laughs> the, the, the nearest I got was this crazy lady who always used to send a cat poetry to the Queen when I went to the post office. So there you go. That's the closest I got. I'm sorry. Did you say cat poetry? Yeah. So she that would write poems beautiful. about her cat and send it to the Queen. <laughs> oh, my God. I know who I want to be when I grow up now. <laughs> <laughs> But she was invited to these garden parties and stuff, you know. She knew the, the, the procedure that you would send it to a certain lady in waiting and she would always write back to her as well and say how much she liked this poetry. Can so I say that? The Queen didn't write back to her. Can I just no, I burst know. your I bubble know. now? <laughs> it's a bit like when you get a letter from Father <laughs> Christmas. He hasn't sat waiting, down and written it you know, to you. Press secretary. This is what it taught me, that there's this poor woman, or man somewhere, who has to go through all this mail and respond to every single thing that gets sent to the Queen. I feel we've drifted. I don't feel we have. I like feel we're on course. <laughs> So um, Matt decided then we would move on to series two, episode one, um, because that was his want. Series one for you two, where does it stack up in terms of if we look at the crown series by series? Where does it stack up for you, Mo? I would say season three is the best right now. I'm only halfway through the current series, mm. so that may shift, and I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing in in in, in series four. So I would say to me, the first series is the weakest. It's the weakest because it's still figuring itself out. I would say that's probably true. I think possibly to my mind, and it's been a little while since I've seen it, but I would say that season three, uh, season one rather is more embedded in, in the history rather than the soap opera element. I think it becomes very soapy when we start talking about Princess Margaret's marriages and things like that, when she becomes this larger-than-life character who refuses to live in her sister's shadow. And you kind of can't help but root for her a little bit, even though you know that, you know, I don't know, cocktails at breakfast probably isn't a great idea and it's not going to work out for her. It starts strong and it builds. Um, You know what I'm worried about, Matt, listening to this, is I'm worried I'm going to... Go to upload next week's podcast, whatever we discuss, and find that Sarah and Mo have already uploaded it and had a big discussion <laughs> on it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Helena Bonham Carter can't help but steal every scene that she's in. You know, she just can't help it. <laughs> she did so much scenery chewing. If we zoom in on one of the walls, I'm sure she's had a bite of some of that cavity insulation stuff. I'm sure there are bits of walls missing where she's actually near. I think you're it. you're absolutely right. There's precious wallpaper that's stuck between her teeth. <laughs> but the thing is, though, like we're talking big characters, big historical moments, great big palaces. You're not going to want someone who is subtle and nuanced in, in a program like this, no, I would no. say. But this is this is like a Mexican telenovela, isn't it? But with, you know, well, actually, is it with more jewellery? I think it's probably about probably, the same. Probably equal amounts of jewellery. Uh-huh. There's very little difference between this and a series called Jane the Virgin. Jane the Virgin. Was... We haven't talked about that in a while. 
Now hold up, now now. See why you gotta hate on Jane the Virgin? <laughs> Come on. I don't think I don't think we were hating on it though. But I remember when we first did before it even started, we were we just were mocking the title. I think the name of the show. It's like sex box. I mean. <laughs> I feel we've drifted again. Yeah. Well, just again on Sarah's point, I think. For you, Luke, in terms of these big performances, I think is that something that you struggle with because you're, yes, you know, I, I you're always... more of a fan of sort of nuance, nuance, subtlety, emotion. I couldn't see Helena Bonham Carter as Margaret. I could just see Helena Bonham Carter, and that's the problem, I think. And to a lesser extent, you know, I love Olivia Coleman, but it was very hard for me to not to go. That's Olivia Coleman doing an impression of the Queen. I mean, but I don't know. I just could not let myself relax. I thought Claire Foy was quiet and understated and delicate in the episodes I saw her in. Olivia Coleman, as good as she is, and I will not say a bad word about Olivia Coleman. For me, it was just Olivia Coleman portraying the Queen, a bit like a comedian portraying someone on Saturday Night Live. You, it's just their portrayal, unless it's Tina Fey as Sarah Palin, then I can't tell the difference. But, it's um... like she's doing an impression of that woman off the stamp, the woman off the money. <laughs> but the thing is, though, if you watch, I think probably season one deals with this quite well, is that the young princess realises that she's got to change. She's got to take on these characteristics that aren't really part of her to mm. become a monarch, because she can't be delicate and quiet and respectful not in every situation it's it's not going to work for her and she's therefore you know she's not going to be that strong and stable monarch that we're after so luke i think part of it with olivia coleman maybe for you is you only sampled the first the, the first episode particularly by the time you get to the second half of series three the welsh episode and because mm. I, I am not going to even try to pronounce the title. Oh, that, of that would episode. be fun. Just try. No, I am. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But there is a scene in there in which Olivia Coleman's Queen Elizabeth just berates Charles and just breaks him down. You see a monarch in that scene. You do yeah. not see Olivia Coleman. It's 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 really chilling how that coldness just just comes across her when she's having a conversation with her own child yeah at that point she's not his mom anymore she is his boss she is his queen mm. and and that sort of like warm soft feeling that anyone would have towards their child has disappeared and it's half the reason why charles is in the situation that he's in you know in series four and in real life i would say yeah <laughs> What about you, Matt? How did you? Because we've we've watched nearly everything Olivia Coleman's done mm. for the sake of the podcast and for the sake of sanity, because a lot of it's very good. <laughs> but how did you feel going into series three? I liked Olivia. I, I I agree with you about Helena Bonham Carter. I think you know. I think you struggle with someone like her to sort of separate it. But I think I think Olivia Coleman did a good job and I think it's hard to step into a role that someone else has already, you know, Claire Foy, I think, got so many plaudits and I think it's a different performance. I've got to be now almost that mother figure for the next generation and, and my children can reflect on, on the crown, really. I didn't have an issue, really, with the performance that I've seen, you know, in that first 
episode that she's in and, and subsequently in the in the season four episodes that we've seen as well and i quite like that the the season three opener i i quite enjoyed just going back a moment to season two were you not a fan of that one no that one that one was a slog because that one is structurally it does my fa- my least favorite thing yeah. in the world uh, where it tells you a story and then goes you know, eight days later or five hours later or earlier or whatever. I hate... Stop yeah. doing that. Stop doing yeah, that. We really hate that. Me and you, Luke, whenever I see any of the programmes that you might have watched and I read your review, I'm like, I knew what Luke's going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm anything we, we is unpredictable. Thing, <laughs> um, just the story was, although important and historical significance wasn't lost on me, it didn't hold my attention up, but that episode was a real slog. That, and after enjoying the first one of series one much more than I imagined I would, I found that one really difficult. What What did you think, Matt? I would agree with you, actually, Luke. Of the ones we've watched, that was the one that I felt least engaged with. I mm. think there's a lot of, obviously, the scenes in Egypt and things like that. You know, after you've seen the build-up of, of these characters in the monarchy, there is a lot of the political side of things. And I think what they're setting up in terms of the royal side of things, is mainly the focus on the relationship and the marriage of Philip and Elizabeth and the fact that they can't divorce. And I think that's what's said in that first scene. Having read, like, the synopses of some of the episodes, it looks like that scene comes back in in ep three so you know it, yeah. it again a very much luke special yeah. <laughs> as we call it here how long was neil armstrong actually on the moon when did europe start speaking english did marco polo really go to china curiosity stream is the streaming service for all things history plus science wildlife and more what's the real story behind the mona lisa we've got that what caused the collapse of rome we know where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor come find out for the holidays, get the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com gift. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. But again, the performance from Claire for, you know, thinking that Philip might be having this affair with this ballet dancer, going to actually see said ballet dancer. Uh, I, I, lo- I liked all of that, but there, there was quite a lot of this episode where... I wasn't as engaged as I was in the in the other episodes that we watched. Mo, first time caller, long time listener. I like that because it makes me sound like Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that yeah, uh, series two episode one is a bit of a misadventure, as everyone has mentioned. The structural problems were an, a some a problem for me. Just just as someone who just trying to get back into that world. My other issue is is they spend so much time focusing on Prince Philip's friend, uh, Mike Parker, and what's going on with his marriage, which later does dovetail back in. But I'm not interested in that. (laughs) I'll be real. (laughs) I mean, I... I was just going to say that's the Daniel Ings character, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. I mean, he's, he's great as that particular character. I mean, it's the type of character he's been playing up until now. 
It's just that it takes you away from the royal family, what's going on in government. And when you get away from that, my attention span just starts to shift. It just weakens the episode. And, and so I had to watch this. I rewatched the, the second episode in preparation for this podcast. And I then once again, I was reengaged. A lot. Mo's done a lot of rewatching. I feel like you've come to this quite, you know, unprepared. <laughs> but no one gave me my homework, sir. The dog ate it. <laughs> Mo is quite right, though. He is, he is right. Once the focus moves from the palace, or even if it shifts, too long and stays on number 10 Downing Street too long. It's it's not the crown anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a historical political drama and that's kind of not what we're here for. I think the balance between that serious grey suited history and imploding marriages, that's what we're here for really. You want the misery. You've got to um, strike the balance, yeah, between the politics and the misery. Um, yeah. My other I, thing is, I'm already worried that Mo and Sarah are going to take over the podcast from next week and Matt and I will be obsolete. But Mo, you said something interesting before we started recording. Was that, <laughs> was that you thought you knew why I, why I specifically wouldn't enjoy it? And I just wondered, you don't have to do the voice. I don't want you to do the voice. But how did you think I would view it? And I just wondered how close the mark you were as a, as a long time listener first time caller <laughs> well i think I, I think for you luke you tend to enjoy or at least from what i've what is my interpretation over the years of what yeah, is your you, taste you've never missed the podcast so go on <laughs> so is is that you prefer dramas about people doing normal things maybe some sort of extraordinary story but the fact is that The Crown is about these bigger-than-life, extraordinary people who may not be very relatable to mm-hmm. everyone else. But what you've said, and you've even said it earlier in this episode, what you were able to focus on when, they're, when it's about the marriage between uh, Elizabeth and Phil, you understood that. But you don't connect and respond to you know, when they start talking about you know, when Harold Wilson, for instance, comes in and starts, you know, they, they just give him this cheat sheet on how to bow and yeah, acknowledge yeah. the queen. You, you don't really connect. That's not what you're necessarily interested in. You're interested in the relationships. You're interested in how does Elizabeth interact with her sister Margaret. That's what you're interested in. The other thing is, is that this work, it, it's, it's the work of a singular vision, Peter Morgan. And what you recently talked about in a couple episodes ago about when you had your West Wing conversation was about Aaron Sorkin and about how those single-minded programs, you know, you don't particularly, you just have problems connecting with those, those, um, those writers with a, a, a singular vision. But again, the difference here is, is that this is a prestige show on Netflix, which is only 10 episodes versus yeah. West Wing, which is a slog at like, you know, 20 to 24 episodes uh, yeah. on NBC. You're spot on. Now do Matt. <laughs> 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 no, you're absolutely I, spot on. And I, I think I came away thinking because the Queen has never gone on record and said anything. And we don't know, you know, whether any of these conversations we're privy to happened at all. And a lot of the factual drama I've enjoyed, a lot of it's on the record and you can go back and look and people are alive to say this is what was said and things. Could you strip away the 
the royal family and it just be a great drama about a similar royal family but not ours, would you be able to enjoy that as much? Or is it the fact that it is somebody playing Elizabeth, somebody coming in to play Diana? Is that the fascination as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that the characters are based on people who are either alive or were alive. And I think that is also the real fascination. But remember, there have been shows about another royal family. ITV, what, years ago? What was that? I'm trying, I'm trying, was it that Elizabeth Hurley show? The Palace, yes, thank you. That Elizabeth Hurley show with, with her. Oh, that I mean, the Royals. That was yeah, the Elizabeth Royals, Hurley yeah, show. the Royals. The Ro- so, yeah, the Royals and the Royals, yeah. Yeah, so so we've had a couple of those, and the Palace and the Royals. You know, going back to Olivia Coleman's performance, I think it's hard because with Claire Foy, we're seeing a young Elizabeth, you know, that less of us have seen in... You know, on TV, there's less footage of that Queen Elizabeth, whereas Olivia Coleman is playing a Queen Elizabeth that we know, we know. we've seen on TV, we, you know, on news broadcasts, you know, that that sort of thing. The, the first images of, uh, as Luke keeps mentioning, the corgis, of the corgis running beneath her feet as she's picking the new design for her stamps. You know, and you're getting that transition between the two actresses from the younger to the older. But this, this, this first episode of season three sort of did pick up the pace and we did get a lot of different stories running concurrently. And I quite liked the way that, you know, the editing was used here to sort of transpose different scenes at the same time. I listened to another podcast uh, this week and uh, they talked about how one of their mothers was very irate with this series of The Crown, because obviously the the closer we get to modern day and things that we can remember, people either think, oh, this is really interesting because I know this, or I think I know this, or in the case of this podcaster, their mum thinks, well, I, I know this isn't true, this isn't how it happened, and this isn't how it was reported. And this, So I wonder whether, is it more interesting that it's getting closer to the modern day for you, or does it become harder to take it seriously and just wash in it if you already know what's coming i've started series four and i'm loving it and as mo says i'm you know spacing it out trying not to watch one episode every day trying to keep it once a week you know for treats (laughs) so watching diana come in and and gillian anderson as margaret thatcher has been really interesting for me because this is getting to the era that I remember and the, uh, an era that I thought I understood. This could well be a new perspective on it. Gillian Anderson, I know, has been causing quite the kerfuffle. Um, well, it, seems to be on one, it seems to be one way or another. People either think she's brilliant or they can't. They just can't take to her at all as Margaret Thatcher. It really does feel like she is doing an impression. But there was quite a lot of the time, I think, when... I mean, Margaret Thatcher is not known for having a natural voice and she's putting it on a bit. And it feels like Gillian Anderson also knows that Margaret Thatcher was putting that kind of slightly strange, breathy voice on. I do like watching Twitter's reaction to Gillian Anderson, the very sexy Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher. For people <laughs> like me, who's grown up in the 80s, in the Midlands and in the north of the country especially, it's very confusing for us. It's extremely confusing. My last thing that I'll say on this very confusing, sexually charged topic is the lady's not for turning, but you love to watch her leave. Well, I, I need to go and have a wash. <laughs> Because I just watched um, up to 
Charles and Diana's wedding rehearsal. So it looks like they've done quite a clever thing here in the fact that they haven't restaged the wedding. Uh, they did that with Philip and Elizabeth's wedding. They basically restaged it shot for shot because that was the first royal wedding that the public had ever seen, I think, on, on TV. With Charles and Diana, you kind of know what the format's going to be because it's so well-known and well-watched. So we see the rehearsal, and which obviously, you know, all ends in tears. And then we see Diana getting ready in the morning and walking towards that iconic dress. And, and that's kind of about it. And you hear the weather um, forecast as well, which is all important, obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, though, because we know it's history and we, we lived through it. We know it happened. And yet at the same time, you can't help but sort of grab a cushion on the sofa and scream, no, Diana, stop it. Don't do it. The thing with this series is this is very much the, the series that is Diana and Thatcher. Those are the two characters along with the Queen who are all the press material for this series, aren't they? And I think episode two is very strongly the focus on Thatcher coming to Balmoral and such. And then the, the third episode with Diana leading up, as you said, to the wedding. The thing for me that struck me in that second episode is how they made Thatcher almost a sympathetic figure. And, and, and yeah. the royals as, as like this ghastly bunch you know, picking on her not knowing sort of how to dress for the hunting which chair not to sit in that sort of thing it is that insidious feeling that there's an agenda here it kind of opens your eyes a little bit to the fact that these people are human i mean <laughs> even margaret thatcher allegedly um, was a human <laughs> being but but it, it is it is strange because you do have very fixed ideas about the queen and about the royal family and about margaret thatcher it's very interesting to see them represented in this way um, although i don't have a great deal of sympathy for thatcher in this one who goes to the middle of the scottish countryside with no hiking gear. I mean, it just makes no sense at all. Or without a sandwich. <laughs> she, she, she was obviously never a Boy Scout. Just thinking back about Gillian Anderson, it's like, you know, who would have thought that having fantasies of Gillian Anderson, you know, as a teenage boy, <laughs> you know, when she was Scully in X-Files, you know, fast forward 25 years, you know, and, you know, she's Margaret Thatcher. I mean, like, there is a lot of scenery chewing. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it, there it is. I'm like, why don't we put the two Margarets in a room and just and let them just choose Cedar? Yeah. That is what I want. There are times when I see Margaret Thatcher, you know, given what little context, you know, everything I've seen of, of, of Thatcher is, is, it's obviously, you know, it's newsreels, it's, it's, it's video or whatnot. You know, I have no firsthand knowledge, but I see her, but there are just these times, there's either a movement or it's something in Gillian Anderson's vocals just change and it breaks the illusion. I, I would say it's definitely the performance that's closest to caricature. But maybe that's just because you, how, on else could, how else could you possibly play Margaret Thatcher? And I think the thing is, as you said, Sarah, is that she did put on this character herself. You know, she, as they mentioned here, she was a grocer's daughter and had to put on these pretenses as she rose through the ranks, especially in what was then a very male-dominated world. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I thought that was really interesting because that was a bit of history that I didn't... I kind of knew happened, but I didn't realise it happened so quickly. I tell you what we're learning is how poorly educated Sarah's been in history. Did she go to school at any point? (laughs) I got a GCSE in history, mate. (laughs) (laughs) We just never really talk about British history. Basically, British history curriculum is the Tudors and World War II three or four times, and then that's you get a GCSE. 
We did Vietnam as well, I remember. Did you? Oh, well done. Yeah. We did. You weren't that broad, <laughs> But I really struggled with Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher. I mean, I, just, I could just insert Moe's psychological takedown again, really, because he's, he's, he's spot on. And I don't know how much I owe him for that session. But... <laughs> <laughs> but... No, I just asked people what they thought because we haven't really talked about him yet Tobias Menzies as, as the older Prince Philip what are your old views on him I think he's great I think he's a brilliant casting and I think he plays him exactly right I think that is probably quite close to how Prince Philip is behind closed doors I mean obviously you know again I don't know because we you only ever see him make the he occasional did, speech yeah. and the occasional and he didn't gaff. come to the ledger centre did he so... he didn't know no. <laughs> he wasn't there <laughs> He was was too busy hunting and shooting, I imagine. I think he does a good job because he seems a natural follow-on from what Matt Smith was doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's when I think the characters gel together quite well. Yeah, Again, he's very sympathetic. Perhaps we we shouldn't make Philip into a caricature because he he kind of did give up his gadabout lifestyle to be this underling for, like, 60 years for me and certainly in the in the season four episodes some of the scenes i enjoyed the most were with him in the first episode with him and, and charles after mm-hmm. uh, mount batten's killed and then the second episode where it's him and, and diana yeah you know, going after this elusive yeah. stag that's know. lovely but i think that's definitely the most fictionalized or scene that i've seen so this far is, isn't it most of it, like uh, i think season four is very much let's see what we can get away with because at yeah. this point you know as you said this is very recent history we've all got an impression of you know thatcher and and diana these are characters mm. these are people we remember and, and what is it that we think has been said and i know luke you've said you know the the imagination of peter morgan and the, and the scenes he likes to remember but i i i think Tobias Menzies certainly steps up in these episodes and, and, you know, some of his insecurities that he didn't have that father figure and and Charles doesn't see him as a father. And and I think it helps as well that he's not as known an actor as Olivia Colman or Helen Bonham Carter or John Lithgow, you know. He's a face you know, but not a name that you particularly know. That might be because he's called Tobias. (laughs) But similar to, I, I suppose... Josh O'Connor and yeah. Emma Corrin as well. You know, these aren't known actors like a Gillian Anderson, who, again, yeah. you know, you're saying you, you don't recognise it, but there is a certain thing about Gillian Anderson, who we knew from the X-Files, becoming, becoming Margaret Thatcher. What do we think about Diana and how she's portrayed in these episodes? I think it's really interesting because we know so much of Diana's story, but again, you've got to think about who wrote that. Diana was very much in charge of her own narrative. You know, before she dies, she was very much in control of what her life was like, you know, power to her because she'd she'd had a miserable time. I I wonder how well they want the royal family at large to come out of this and what the sort of the end game is for her story. Because at, at the moment, we see Diana as this naive young woman and we're all very familiar with her little doe eyes little brave little smile but I think what they're doing particularly in the first scenes where the press start to get interested in her there's a steely glint in her eye like she's playing with the press and the photographers and she's quite excited about what life is going to mean as a princess you know because she's been taken in like you know all the girls who love Disney princesses 
they think it's all going to be fun but it absolutely isn't and then she she comes crashing down to earth just before the wedding and it it's really sad but I think it's really interesting what they're doing with this character they're not making her into this naive 100% innocent teenager they're sort Let's face it, most people aren't making massive turkey feasts on the regular, and after 364 days of not thinking about it, it can be hard to get that bird just right. That's where Instacart, the holiday rescue app, comes in. From getting all the ingredients to prep a full seasonal spread to getting last-minute swamps in a turkey emergency, Instacart has everything a holiday host needs to save face and save dinner. And right now, if you download Instacart, you get free delivery on your first three orders and delivery in as fast as one hour. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply sort of playing with what we think about her and what what the nation thinks about her. Yeah, it's it's this really interesting inversion of the Disney princess notion where we start off, you know, how she first meet well, the fictionalized version of how mm. uh, Diana meets Charles. And then we get this glimpse of Diana as she's very much the type of character that viewers should root for. She's a very mm. sympathetic character. They go on, they mention, they constantly mention, you know, when they talk about her background, when they, you know, she's the cleaner for her sister. She lives in this nice house, but she is her sister's cleaner. So she's very sympathetic. As Sarah mentioned, she gets these little glints in her eyes that she's playing with this. She likes the attention. You know, she feels like she is becoming this fictionalized princess. And then, very quickly, she catches on mm. that she is a cover for mm. Prince Charles to carry on his love affair with Camilla Parker Bowles. So I'm very curious to see in the back half of the series how Diana continues to evolve as a character. I'm, I'm glad that they're, in some of the episodes I've seen later on, she's given more agency, and I'm glad that that, and I hope that that arc continues. Luke, thinking about subtle performances, there's something in Diana's story that you may not have seen or at all yet that you will love. Diana and Camilla meet in a restaurant. Um, the restaurant has a fancy French name. And I had to rewind it because I could not believe this was the name of the restaurant. Can you guess what it was? <laughs> is that most my mind is running at, My, my mind is running at a million it. miles an hour. So off you Guys, go. the restaurant is called Menage à Trois. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah, I remember because that is an interesting play, a power play between the two of them, isn't it? Where she sort of says, yeah. "You should call him by uh, this name," and it's that's a clever but, scene. But again, as you find yourself drawn in, but then you think, "I spent half of the time being either not engaged or or engaged," but then the rest of the time going, "I really enjoyed that part." But is it correct? Yeah. And should, does it matter at the end of the day? That, yeah, should that matter? And, and to Sarah's point as well, there's another line there, isn't there, where she says, I don't mind sharing. Camilla says that to Diana when they're having the pudding or something. It's like, yeah. I don't yeah. mind sharing. Yeah, so, this yeah, foreshadowing is, is and, and, in all capital mm, letters. Yeah, and the I caps don't lock think, is stuck on. And, and, I <laughs> and I don't think there's much of a subtlety in, you know, she's a bit of a free spirit. Here's her roller skating through the palace. Here's her eating from the fridge, you know. She's got her headphones on listening to Blondie and, and Stevie Nicks and things like that, you know, as she was the people's princess, as, yeah. as she was called. And I think that's that's part of the presentation here. Luke, you're saying, does it matter I'm, to I'm you that there I'm is not as much fact it. in this? List, you listening, to it, listening to you all talk, some of you eloquently, some of you not, 
I do. I'm sort of wrestling with: is the clown a sumptuous big budget period drama on the same level as Downton, or is it striving to be a factual piece? And can the two mesh together? Do they mesh together well? Does it matter how far? And I, I, I'm wrestling with it, and I, I don't know where I sit. Does it matter? Are we to believe it? Does should we believe it? And does it matter if we don't? Can we enjoy it either way? And I, I don't know. I, I'm you stuck don't know the time. Yeah, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Somebody get me out of this. Well, I don't think it it matters to be honest, because we don't have any access to know exactly what these people were thinking at a particular mm. moment. We just don't. We never yeah. have, unless yeah. they're in public. So whatever private moments and interactions that are going on between people, you know, it's fictionalized. It's certainly what we know is going to happen. Again, this goes back to the foreshadowing. We yeah. know what's going to happen to Diana. We know what's going to happen to Camilla. Certainly when you get to the episode, when they have Andrew and there's uh-huh. some lines of dialogue in there, <laughs> you gonna, you're going to see yeah, I was just gonna, oh, You beat me to it. You're going to... It's, it, there's a lot of foreshadow at this point, so so it's it's mm. clear that Peter Morgan and company are they're they're, they're playing, playing with what happened. They? Yeah, they are playing with us. So I think it's perfectly fine. I mean, I just know just me as a viewer, this is going to be kind of interesting when if we ever get that um, uh, American um, crime story series about um, the Clintons. Yeah, you know, yes. it's going to be will the you, exact. Will, same. You, will you be able to switch off the part of your brain that knows that? Bill and Hillary wouldn't have said such a thing or wouldn't have acted in such a way or will you be able to watch it as a drama and that's what I'm wrestling with if we get to 1987 and I am facing the correct way in that swimming pool I will know that it's not factually correct (laughs) but until we (laughs) until we get there I'm going to wrestle with this I certainly won't have a problem grappling with that dilemma when it comes to the Clintons I I certainly didn't have that issue with OJ no, uh, I love that. With, that. with that series, I certainly did not. To me, the number one goal is, are you entertained? Are they creating a world in which you're engaged? The dialogue is never going to be correct. If someone dies on X date, you know, if someone's married on X date, as long as that stuff matches up, the big political moments are correct. It's fine. Yeah. The rest of it is just theater. I couldn't I agree say, with Mo more sorry. on that. I think that's exactly right. And if it inspires people to be a bit more interested in history and, you know, in these big characters that really we don't know much about, um, people do. It's great. I've seen it on Twitter. People hop onto Twitter immediately after an episode that they've seen and they go, oh, did that happen? Is that true? That's providing a service as well as this, you know, amazingly lush, beautiful, engaging drama that they've created. They are providing a service for those of us who didn't learn enough history at school. And nobody from the royal family... Uh, example. <laughs> <laughs> nobody from the royal family I, is going to stick I'm their so neck sorry. Out. I've got to give a shout out to Mrs Green. She was a great history teacher. No, and I'm she doing obviously her wasn't. <laughs> she just took the money and ran by the side of it. I suppose nobody from the royal family is going to come out and go, actually, Peter Morgan, you got that completely wrong. They keep themselves this mystery, so it's up to him as he's got this job to just write around things. I loved the OJ thing, and Andrew Cunan and I got a bit obsessed yeah, with Yeah, I was, was going to say that. I was going to write to him yeah. in prison at once. Yeah. 
There was an there's an element of that there, isn't there? There's an element yeah. of the fantastical in that yeah. series that you gravitated yeah. to. But I, uh, but I, I suppose, in, in in fairness to me, and I don't think there's been enough of that um, this afternoon. In fairness to me, I suppose there's, there's are people who who can attest to that is what Andrew Cunanan was like. That is something he would have said. That is the way he would have phrased something. <laughs> Peter Morgan is going completely off impressions of people. I don't think he's got any advisors, you know, like Line of Duty has police advisors to make sure that they're not just making up the OCG and the UCG and the OCG. Peter Morgan is given f- free license, I suppose, to just write an entertaining show. I mean, to an extent, you know, there are these scenes, as we've been saying, that people know, you know, so for example, we had the press conference with Charles and Diana in the lines there about, you know, Whatever what is means. being in love, but mm. the the sort of the behind closed doors scenes, you know, with, are made up, but that's the same with any, of like the Versace show, you know, that we, we never know, you know, if he met Versace or not, that's something I should, that... I should say for, for clarity, it's not called the Versace show. Yeah, the assassination on. of Gianni Versace, but that's a lot of words. <laughs> American you It takes time to say it correctly, but it's worth doing. Yeah, okay, anyway. With any of these shows based on true events, you know, we talked about Mrs. America last week, you know, there, there's an element of this did happen because we saw it on screen, you know, people have talked about it, but then the, the specific lines of dialogue, we're never going to know, as, as you said, Mo, the, yeah. you know, we're never going to know what, goes on behind closed doors and if those things are said you know there are certain royal historians who've come out and said you know the meeting between charles and diana you know she wasn't dressed as a tree but she, <laughs> he, he, met, <laughs> he met her when he was he was seeing her sister and that is, yeah she was actually a privet head everyone yeah, knows that <laughs> she was a weed that didn't happen but the context did you know he was seeing her sister he met her at that house was it any creepier when uh in back in, C- in series three when you know the two of Anne and charles were dating uh the parker boy each one of them had oh, a thing with the parker they are yeah there's, 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 there's so, a reason why this family's inbred I was gonna mention that I know Luke I know you listen to this podcast uh TV's top five they had an interview with Peter Morgan back in uh, November of 2019, and he yeah. talks about all the reference material that he has access to uh, and, and so forth that he uses to kind of craft these episodes. If you haven't listened to it, it's kind of wor- it's really interesting uh, listening to that to that portion of that episode just to kind of get his perspective on this and certainly as we get into the diana years um people who read any newspapers in the uk will know that there are certain members of the royal household who cannot stop talking about diana (laughs) and have based their entire careers on the fact that they once worked for diana I've lived um, and dined off Is that a dig, a dig on uh, Paul Burrell there? Couldn't or... possibly comment, but I do happen to know somebody. <laughs> I 
I do happen to know somebody who knows a thing or two about him, so you'll have to invite me on for the Series oh. 5 review. Look it's... at Sarah already booking her next uh, <laughs> I was going to say, interestingly, because Series 5 was going to be the last one, but they, I think, went to write it, didn't they, and felt there was so much that they wanted to get in there that they have now are going to do two more series. That's right. Really? Yeah. I do worry about them having to get to the really sticky stuff you know the really nasty stuff that that unfortunately the royal family are going through at the moment i would not want to think it's going to go that i don't think it's going to go that far and actually peter morgan does talk about that at tv's top five episode he was on he talks about a little bit about some sort of end point he thinks it's some sort of event that has already occurred it won't be something like within the last you know few i don't think we're going to get Meghan markle no, no, no. It's a go real ahead. shame because Meghan Markle could play herself. <laughs> I just uh, then it would just be a suit spin-off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for making this one of my favourite podcasts we've done. It's a shame a lot of Sarah and Mo will be edited out just so it sounds like Matt and I have more to say on the crown. But what you <laughs> We understand. We are the B team, we understand. Yes. <laughs> No, I'm joking. We're just happy to be here. We've had a lovely day out. Thanks, Luke. I really appreciated the invitation. I yes. certainly enjoyed this. Where Where can people find you? First of all, Sarah, we'll, we'll let you as you are. After Matt, the only lady on the podcast, what would you... <laughs> where can people um, find your writing and on Twitter and things? I um, am at Sarah Hamstera on Twitter and my blog is degpixeltest.tv. Um, where I am mainly talking about Scandi dramas. Tis the season. Okay, so come and join me if you want to learn more about the Valhalla murders. Uh, no. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that invitation was not to you, Luke. Okay. No plans to you didn't like it. No, what would you like to promote aside from the podcast? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at uh, DrMo77. I don't have a doctorate. I'm not a... Licensed oh, practitioner God, of any kind. So... You on? We thought you were going to explain <laughs> well, the what? background. Are you telling me that you don't want to look at this rash? <laughs> no, I don't. Thank you. <laughs> Turn your um... webcam off there and nobody wants to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call your local GP. Don't 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 tweet at me about about rashes. Um, and and then I'm also part of a. Uh, podcast that covers a lot of genre television uh, called Geek Confidential and we're actually hoping to be back with some yes. new episodes soon. It's just due to COVID, just things have been just a little bit wonky on yeah. our end, just getting together and so forth. That's not a symptom we should say. No, no. It's <laughs> if you've got a wonky end, it's got nothing to do with COVID. It's just a problem with your posture. <laughs> Your favourite show of 2020, Quick Mo, what would that be? Probably, uh, ooh, I'm having, like, COVID issues right now. Um, <laughs> I have to say, like, like, <laughs> like, I'm really enjoying this current season of The Mandalorian. So, and... I can offer nothing, but all right. <laughs> you can... <laughs> Luke, The Mandalorian is brilliant. Get on board. I, you um, know, I've never seen a single minute of any Star Wars, so I feel like Baby Yoda. That's next week's only... episode, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, annoyingly, we'd have to have Sarah and Mo back for that. <laughs> and then on Netflix, I really enjoyed this uh, show called uh, Warrior Nun, uh, which is actually based on a comic <laughs> series. You know, there is a trend with me, there's a theme here. It's 
I will say loosely based on a comic book series, but it's fi- it was filmed in Spain. Yeah. Beautiful visuals, Luke. I don't think it's. I'm not sure. I wouldn't say it's 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 a it's a Luke show. Is it um, Peter Morgan again? No, it's not. Not <laughs> Peter Morgan. <laughs> I just wondered whether it it's not Peter Morgan or, or Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Warrior Nun by Peter Morgan. I love that. Idea. I'd watch that. <laughs> uh, Sarah, what about you? Favorite show of the year? Really hard because I've been watching so much TV this year, a bit like everybody else. I would say that I was so excited that um, the BBC picked up Harlots, which I'd been wanting to watch for ages, but I wasn't going to subscribe to an additional subscription service on Amazon for it. Not when you've got that history course to pay for. Wasn't it on ITV Encore? It began live on ITV Encore, which is the craziest thing. (laughs) Also, and I hate to stay the same as everybody else at the moment, but The Queen's Gambit is brilliant. Proper, decent prestige TV. And the thing is, I feel like I should be able to tell you exactly why I like The Queen's Gambit, but I can't. It's fabulous, and I... I love it, and it's just really hard to pin down exactly why. But it's a it's a short series, especially for Netflix, and it's so mm. beautiful to look at. Sumptuous, great performances, and mm. it's it's nice and quick. It's over over and done quickly as according, well. According if according to both of you, there's very very clear parallels between the Queen's Gambit and Warrior Nun. <laughs> <laughs> And I was going to say, I mean, I've tried, Sarah, to explain that to Luke. I don't know if you heard that podcast, but that, we, we almost had a row about the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Yeah. I, did, I didn't speak to him for a week between podcasts, which is normal, but I was angry a lot more than, than I would have been. Thank you so much to Mo and Sarah. We'll be back next week with a Christmas special. Join us then. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP.